beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash godisgray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today we're talking to a brand new friend of mine, as in (laughs) friends when she walked in my door about an hour ago. Um, She is a freelance artist living in Los Angeles and moonlights as a dominatrix. And I didn't even know we were going to be talking like this or about this because in our pre-interview, she talked about um, just her upbringing in the Christian community. And we were just going to vibe out on that. But now she's added a brand new element. (laughs) And I'm excited to present however this conversation goes because I think it's very important to demystify the sex industry. I think it's incredibly nuanced and complicated and there's so many different facets but the best thing we can do is talk to people that are in it to help us be more educated and learn more about the perspectives from the inside so hi (laughs) thank you so much for letting me wander into your living room this (laughs) evening um and uh i'm glad that we decided to um go to this topic i have a lot of other areas of my life that i um, you know, share with everyone around me, but this is one that I uh, usually hold close because not everyone understands it. Not everyone even knows what a dominatrix does or doesn't do. And um, so I'm really happy to to talk about it, especially because I didn't, you know, when somebody hears um, the words like sex worker or dominatrix or any other, you know, even thinking about people that do other work in the adult industry, um, most people immediately think of, you know, a desperate, broken woman or man. And while, you know, they're, they're desperate, broken men and women in every industry, (laughs) you know, in, in this country and other countries, um, you know, so there are certainly plenty of those in the adult industry as well. But, um, you know, I feel like I came to this type of work really out of, in a lot of ways, being an artist and exploring, um, kind of my my life and my sexuality and my creativity uh, after I sort of emerged from over, gosh, over a decade at least in kind of a very strict purity movement type of Christianity. And yes. I certainly didn't come from, you know, I didn't come from a broken home. I've never had any addiction problems. I've got a bachelor's degree from a good university. Like, you know, I'm not a lot of people, the ideas they have in their head of, for lack of a better word, kind of the trashy woman who does whatever form of sex work are really, um, you know, they're not, it's not true for me. And it's also not true for the vast majority of the the women and men that I work with. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you had found me even five years ago and said, you know, you're going to end up becoming a dominatrix at least for a time and you're going to really love it. And it's going to be a fulfilling, 
you know, job and for some people even a career, I would have never, ever believed it in a million years. Um, but I'm really happy that I, I stumbled into to that kind of work and I've really learned a lot from it. Wow. Okay. Well, I can't wait to learn a lot about it as well. Um, I definitely have preconceived notions of it just from probably movies and like hearsay. And I really don't know any of the details. I'm really excited to learn more. We were talking earlier about the purity movement and our concepts about sexuality that are given to us in church. Um, so what kind of church did you go to growing up? Um, well, I uh, became a born-again Christian, gave my life to Jesus when I was 12 years old. Same. <laughs> and um, yes, it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a story that is certainly not unique. Um, but it, it is a bit unique to not have like your parents impose true. it. True. Yes, I um I did not grow up in a family that was um particularly religious at all. Um but around middle school when I started to on my own start to wonder, you know, about the bigger questions in life, is there a god? If there is, what's the meaning of life? Mm -hmm. I had, you know, heard about of course I'd heard about anything that everything that anyone who grew up in America, especially the Midwest, would have heard of. Like, you've heard of Jesus, you know, kind of the major world religions and vaguely what they believe. But that was about the, the beginning and end of my religious education. Mm -hmm. um, and so around that time when I started wondering about those bigger questions, I was invited on a, you know, middle school retreat with, like, the local mega church in my area. Uh -huh. And, you know, where, like, I some of my good friends went. And then, of course, there's, like, cute boys that don't go to your school you That's haven't seen why before. I went. Uh -huh. I was like, these boys aren't going to know what a nerd I am. I'm <laughs> exactly. Go. You've got – there's a, there's a you know, a fresh pool of people. That's literally, actually, the only reason I went. I always loved Jesus, but that was an inspiration for actually walking in a building and, like, giving time to that. <laughs> I think it's probably like 90 to 95% of the kids in youth group. Totally. Um, and then you're in for a rude awakening. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you realize that like, oh, you, you have these new people that you are now going to feel guilty about feeling things towards. So <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a trick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, around age 12, I, I gave my life to Jesus in the evangelical sense of the term. And I, you know, did not, uh, do that halfway. I was all in. Um, you know, I was preaching to my friends and parents and grandparents and anyone that would listen that they were going to go to hell if they didn't give their lives to Jesus. And I started a Christian club in my public high school. <laughs> I went on mission trips all over the world that I, you know, would raise money for during the year and go on my summer vacations, uh, to places to go preach the gospel, um, I kind of checked every box for being like the poster child of, yeah, you know, it. teenage Christianity. And, and with all of that, you know, I was totally chaste and pure. I like, you know, pretty much in high school, not to get into a lot of details, but it was like, I never really did anything beyond just kissing yeah. with a boy or a girl or anyone. I, well, I never kissed a girl in high school. Certainly that would have been a big deal. <laughs> yeah. I was 100% in that mindset through really like uh until I got married two weeks after I graduated from college oh, <laughs> yeah. god you and I have been so much in common yeah. um could is it describable for you why on earth and how on earth a girl coming into her teen years would get so fired up about a concept a religion a god that she would abandon everything and just go full force um 
you know, it's for me, it wasn't like I, you know, one day took a turn from being a, you know, all out, you know, 100%. Um, I don't even want to say like 100% for the Lord or for Jesus. Cause I think that's defined by the church and the community around you. I didn't, I didn't go from being someone that filtered every thought and decision in my mind through what my church leaders told me. Mm. Um, Cause it is your church leaders. The Bible says a lot of things and people will choose what to, to emphasize or de-emphasize with their communities. Yeah. Um, so I went from someone that, you know, deeply considered kind of what was uh, considered to be God's will within the community that I was in to the, <laughs> the free thinking you know, whip wielding person that I am today, not overnight. It was, um, many years of kind of slowly opening my mind and, and getting to know people with different perspectives and questioning different parts of my faith that I could just see were damaging myself and individuals around me. Um, and I think the first sort of big crack in that, uh, foundation or crack in that wall, if you will, was, um, really the evangelical attitude towards the LGBT community. I had, you know, the only reason I ever believed it was, you know, a sin to be gay or trans or queer was because that is what the pastors told me. Yeah. You know, we've all read like the very few verses in the Bible that supposedly talk about same sex relationships and, you know, people can debate them all the day long, but it, it comes down to like, what do you want to believe about these things? Cause the Bible is not, exactly unequivocal about it Mm -hmm. and I found that you know and I went I went to a bible college I uh, you know studied and valued that book deeply and at the end of the day the only reason I could really understand that people were excluding the LGBT community from the church was because it was just tradition yeah and when I finally kind of broke with that because I had you know, gay friends that I could see were really being hurt by this. And I couldn't bring myself to pray that they would be, you know, de-gayed by Jesus. It was more like, this is just clearly, they want to be Christians and be part of this church and uh, the the community isn't letting them. That's not right. So once I kind of made that move and the reaction of the community that I was in at the time around me, viewing me as like a lesser than Christian when I had spent, you know, over a decade of my life being like, quote unquote, the best Christian I can mm-hmm. be. It was really eye opening. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there's, of course, there's many, many other factors, but that was kind of the biggest one where I'm like, if people who believe like I believe and pray every day, like I pray and read the same Bible have come to a totally different conclusion on this. And it's not hypothetical. It's affecting people's lives. I mean, people yeah. commit suicide over these things. Mm-hmm. It's like not a, it's not a theological debate about end times that we can agree to disagree about. It's real life. Yeah. And, um, seeing that we could really, you know, be, be at odds with that. And that I, I just strongly felt like, I don't know if I'm, you know, right or wrong on this issue, but I do know that my friends here are hurting and I can't stand by that. That was kind of my first big step away from the evangelical church. And then a lot of other, you know, things after that, I think I allowed myself to question things a lot more in a way that was, um, I think ultimately was really healthy and really, um, you know, allowed me to explore other sides of myself that I had, uh, not opened the door to before. Yeah. Well, 
Okay, so you kind of got into the dominatrix world as like an experimental artistic endeavor. Yeah, so you know, it was it's it's kind of a funny story. It was really like um not that long after I had uh, split up with my ex-husband, I found myself for the first time ever in my life as an adult having no one to answer to. You know, I you know, I was like I said, I was in my late 20s, so I was long out of answering to my parents or college or anything like that. I've been an independent working person for a while, and I didn't have to answer to uh, a partner anymore. And I also, you know, again, like I'm freelance as an artist, so wanting to find ways to make money is something I was always on the lookout for yeah. and would avoid rigid schedules and desk jobs like they're the plague. <laughs> And it's funny because some people, a, some people as a side note would be like, I could never do what you do. And I'm like, that's great. Don't do it. I could never be an accountant and I don't want anyone to make me be an accountant. Everyone do what they want to do, Yeah. you know, as a living, like I'm suited for what I do. Not everyone is. And that's a good thing for me because then I can charge a bunch of money for what I do. That's perfect. <laughs> um, you know, I'm like, no, you just, you do what you do. Don't try to do what I do and vice versa. Um, so anyway, so I found myself with this point in my life where I wasn't answering to anyone. I could make decisions a hundred percent just by what I wanted to do. And I was exploring kink and dominance and submission in my personal life for the first time ever and discovering that, yeah, any part of me that thought maybe I'm not into this was like, yeah, I'm, this is, I'm super into this. this is a part of me, wherever it came from, it doesn't matter. This is a thing that I'm always going to really be uh, drawn to. Mm-hmm. And, kind of the overlap of those things and a friend of mine literally like just a platonic friend jokingly saying like you should go work at a dungeon which um for anyone that doesn't know uh, a dungeon is the name of kind of a typically the name of a place where a dominatrix is dominatrices um and other is that the plural uh, you know what i'm not sure like i'd have to i'd have to look at uh well the pearl would probably be doms but would be spelled in the like feminine or Okay. Uh, masculine depending on but you know, gender is a social construct anyways <laughs> but um but in my line of work it's really important for people um so uh, a dungeon is basically usually where like um where people who are fetish workers for lack of a better way to put it work um some women or men just not where i work um will work as submissives or switches where they'll do both kinds of sessions or doms where they're only acting dominant um so a friend of mine was like, you should go work at a dungeon. And part of me was like, I should go work at a dungeon. And, you know, I looked into it and I, I did like, you know, carefully consider what it would mean if people found out, if my family found out, if, you know, people in other parts of my career knew. And I finally just decided, literally was like, you know what, when I am a grandma, God willing, I'm going to want to tell the story about how I was a dominatrix and not about how I thought about it for a few weeks and then didn't do it. It's like, you know, at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And I also was like, you know, if I go in and, you know, I interview at this place and they decide to hire me and train me and I don't like it, it's a funny story. I don't have to stay there. And if I do like it, then great. I have a fun, flexible place to do what I enjoy doing and earn extra money and keep being able to do my art and all these other things that are hard to support yourself with. And, you know, I've been working at the dungeon I'm at for over three years now. So, um, and on and off, and I've been able to take time off when I need to work on other stuff. And 
every day that I'm there, I get to be creative. I get to interact with new people and, um, I get to dress up in fun costumes and it's just, it's very, very fun in a lot of ways. And it is, and it is, you know, adult work. A lot of us call it, call it sex work. I don't have sex with any of my clients, neither do any of the women that I work with. Um, we follow the law. I pay my taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of rules of the place I work that we follow and there's rules of the law that we follow. And I'm, what are some of the specific rules? Um, you know, the, the main ones are, you know, for us and, and every dungeon and every person that does this work is different. So it's not like there's an industry wide standard. We mm-hmm. all, you know, um, agree to, but at my place of work, there's the big three are like no sex, no penetration, no exchange of bodily fluids. Okay. Um, and that is one because of the letter of the law and two, because those things are all, um, big health risks and, um, you know, women and men that, uh, engage in, in the type of work that do involve those things. I have nothing but respect for, um, but they are choosing to take on some calculated risks and they also charge a lot more money and that's their business, but it's not something I wanted to do and I wasn't comfortable with it. So do you find most people in your industry call it? interchangeable between sex work and fetish work or is one more respectful than the other you know it's all a everyone's different and every community in different cities and countries are different in their terminology and kind of what carries certain stigmas and what doesn't Mm -hmm. not every woman I work with would probably categorize what we do there as sex work um I kind of like the term because I want to destigmatize it in general because when people meet me they would never think sex worker and also, yeah. especially when I'm like, oh, but I don't have sex. It's actually not like I never, I'm never nude. I'm ne- you know, it's just like, I'm, I'm not a prostitute. But then at the same time, I feel like people who are not trafficked, people who are of age and are engaging in whatever level of sex work consensually, whether it's porn or stripping or fetish work or legal prostitution or whatever it is, if they are suited well for that job and their disposition and they're emotionally stable with it and it's something that they're good at doing, then who am I to say that that's a bad thing that they're doing? There's always going to be a market for it and I'd rather have people do it that are suited for the job and good at the job than people who are trafficked into it or who are forced into it by economic circumstances. Yeah. Because there's always going to be a market. Yeah. Always going to be a market. And I see women come in and out of my work sometimes that, you know, they'll come in and they'll interview. And as soon as you meet them, you're like, this isn't the place for you. And they almost always are kind of sent on their way. It's not a place that takes anyone that wants to earn a little money um, because the people that run it really are conscientious of making sure that the job is not going to be damaging to you and that you're going to be good at it and enjoy it. And it's going to be added value to your life. So you feel very, like, protected by the people that own the place. You feel like you have a support system there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you always have to be your own, I mean, in any area of life and in any job, by the way. You have to be your own advocate and understand your boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the where I work, if you don't want to, to do something that isn't already against the law and the rules. Yeah. Uh, if there's just something that, for example, like, Let's say you're like, I just do not want to do any session that involves humiliating someone else. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. It's, mm-hmm. you know, triggering or whatever. No one will ever force you to do that. No one will ever pressure you to do that. If there's a certain client you're not comfortable with for whatever reason, you, 
the owner of the dungeon will basically say, like, oh, just tell us you don't want to see so-and-so. Don't see them. If you always, if you take sessions where you're not comfortable, you're going to burn out and want to leave anyways. Um, so no, I, I definitely feel like because it's a woman, it's a woman owned business and, um, they also like, they're just not desperate for people to work there either. You know, it's like they want people to enjoy the job because when you enjoy it, you're good at it. Yeah. And if you're, you know, if you're being traumatized by it, you're going to be bad at it and nobody wants that. I mean, nobody, no one who works there wants anyone to, you know, see any client or they, they come out and are really uh, hurt by it. Nobody wants that there. Thank God. Yeah. Um, but how are you making this transition from the girl that was spending summers abroad on mission trips? Like, how do you find yourself when you're walking through that door emotionally, spiritually? You know, it's, it's funny because in a lot of, I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, the work is obviously very, very different in a lot of ways, but also I find that what made me really well suited to kind of going out and evangelizing, like talking to strangers and, you know, doing all the kinds of dramas and stuff I do. I see where this is going. In Bizarro World, (laughs) it like makes you pretty good at being like a dominatrix in a, in a, in a super weird way. In the sense One that, of my guy friends was like, can you please stop making God as gray? There's going to be no more kinky Christian girls left in the world. Oh, you can't get rid of them, I promise you. Um, yeah, we're, we're there, whether we know it or not. I mean, I'm only yeah. asking because I um, I am not judging you by any far stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. but I truly cannot imagine the gymnastics I would have to do personally to be like, I'm going to put myself in an environment where I am, you know, purposely helping other people come. Mm -hmm. And um, so being in a sexual scenario with people that may be married, that may have other circumstances going on, like there's a lot of like moral quandaries I would find myself in. Well, and it's interesting that, you know, you bring that up because, you know, a lot of us wrestle with those moral quandaries too. You know, it's... um, that's another thing that I feel like most people wouldn't necessarily think like, you know, sex workers or in, in my circumstance, specifically women or, and men who work um, as dominants or submissives think about. But I feel like we, at least in my place of work, like we think about the ethics of sexuality and eroticism and consent way more than most people do. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, you know, what do I do? when a client comes in and they know they're married and I know they're not telling their wife, you know, what they're here for mm-hmm. and how do I deal with that? Do I do a session with them? Do I think about that? Do I address that? I mean, that's stuff like we all think about. And I know that the owner of the place I worked with or work at thinks about as well. And, you know, one is, it, you know, I feel like everyone has that comes to the place that I work has this secret they have this fetish and whether it's a secret that they're open with with the people they can trust or it's literally just you and them and no one else in the world knows that they have this thing that they like they're coming in there and trusting you with this thing that like by and large I would never want the majority of people in their life to know Mm -hmm. so even if you decide like okay I'm not comfortable with this I'm not gonna do this like you have to treat the fact that they're coming to you with a secret with a certain amount of respect um, and, and acknowledge that even if they come in and like, you get a creepy vibe, it's like, okay, they're still coming in. They're acknowledging 
this thing that they're going to put before you that they want that's out of the norm. And even if you're not going to do it, and even if it's not possible or if it's not ethical, they've come and they've put it out there. So Mm -hmm. you have to kind of treat that with... Um, like you guys are that with, ultimate with a certain space. amount of reverence yeah yeah and and it's not to say that if someone comes in and wants to do something that I'm like wow that's completely not okay on so many levels it's so like you came to me and you told me this so I'm gonna think thoughtfully about how I'm gonna respond to it are um, you so do you have these conversations like sitting down one-on-one with a person or? yeah um so so the way it works is if um someone comes in if you haven't seen them before or you don't kind of know what what the session is going to be like. Uh, you do an interview with them first and sometimes they'll interview with more than one person that's working there at a time and decide if like you're a good fit of what they want, what they're into is something that you're on board with. And you'll, you'll have basically like a discussion about what is and isn't going to happen during the session and agree to it. And then anything that they might in the middle of the session want or not want it. Well, I mean, if they don't want it, all of a sudden you don't do it, but, um, <laughs> easier than obviously. Yeah. Wanting yeah. It's sort of yeah. like if I, let's say here's a really simple example. Let's say I have, a, a man come in and we sit down for the interview. I've never seen him before. And I'll, I'll usually start off by asking if they've been to this dungeon before. And if they say yes, then I'll say, Great. I assume you know the rules then. Mm-hmm. Know this, know this, know this, know this. And if they say, oh, I've never been here before, I'll go over that with them just to weed out anyone that thinks that we're a brothel or something like that. Right. Um, just so that there's no confusion. <laughs> and so once we establish that we're all on the same page as far as just the rules of what we do and don't do, um, then I'll say, like, what type of session were you imagining today? And some people are either too nervous or they don't know. And some people have like no down to the letter of what you're going to say, what they want, everything Uh, in between. Mm -hmm. So a typical one might be like, okay, I've never been here before, but I've always had these fantasies about being spanked. Like just having someone put me over their knee or bend me over and spank me. And so I was like, okay, great. You know, in the sense like there's nothing, I just want to immediately put them at ease. Like it doesn't matter if you've, thought this was weird and wrong your whole life or like doesn't matter in my world this is a normal variation yeah yeah being in therapy yeah exactly like whatever it's all fine yeah and you know so from there and you know my head I'm like okay spanking like I'm comfortable with that we do that here fine we'll go from there and then I'll ask a few other follow-up questions like oh do you like you know paddles do you think you have a high pain tolerance a low pain tolerance do you want this or that, you know, and kind of get an idea of where they're at. And of course I'll make sure that they, you know, safe word, everyone jokes about it, but that's a real thing. I'll make sure they know the safe word so that we have a very clear way to communicate if something is uh, not what they want or going wrong and we need to address it. Do they pick their own safe word? Um, We have a house safe word, but then I usually ask them if they have one in mind because really like a safe word is best when you don't have to think too much about what it is. You don't have to remember it. You want it to just be the thing that you say when you want things to stop. I can imagine. Yeah. So I usually (laughs) try to establish that with them. Um, I'm a big fan of the safe word being red because you would never say red in like a normal, you would, you know, circumstance. And it's the thing that we all associate with stop. Mm. Um, But we, you know, if they have something else in mind, I'll go that. I'll just make sure we establish the, it's really like the respect that, you know, I, as the dominatrix, I'm going to give you an experience where you feel like you don't have control, where you feel like I'm going to make you take this pain or humiliation or whatever it is you're here for. But also, really, if you need it to stop, you can have it stop. And yeah. I will absolutely respect that. 
Um, so we make sure we establish that. And if everything is like, you know, if we are in agreement about what we're going to do and not going to do, then, um, we go into the session and, you I know, feel like college yeah. couples should be practicing this. Well, that's where I feel like we all have our PhD in consent because, yeah. you know, and it's also an ongoing, you know, it's like we have our little interview and then it's an ongoing discussion throughout your know, session. There might be something that we didn't think to discuss that comes up and you have to like constantly as the professional in the environment, know how to navigate that both to protect yourself and to make sure that the the person that you're with is comfortable and good with everything you're doing Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's a it's intricate it's like an intricate dance and uh, can you what are some of the common requests i'm curious about humiliation too oh sure gosh okay so i'm just gonna (laughs) i'm just gonna list off like things that are and for anyone listening if they like have a thing they're into they're like oh nobody else is into this i promise you someone is whatever it it is It's fine. (laughs) It's normal. Even if it's something that you can't act out in real life, even if it's something that's like not possible to act out in real life, it's still a a perfectly okay fetish to have in your mind. Like something that happens in your mind (laughs) is okay. Always, full stop. You know, some things acting out in real life. That's not a Christian principle. Well, (laughs) color me a sinner then because (laughs) no, I think if it's in your mind that's okay. Obviously some things in real life either can't happen or shouldn't happen. And that remains true. But anyways, I just want to give my little, like whatever fetish you have in your mind is okay. Yeah. Just, you know, you can't commit crimes and you probably can't like have sex with aliens or anything else you want. So <laughs> yeah. some things aren't possible. That's okay. It doesn't mean that it being a kink in your mind is necessarily wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so here's like a quick list of super, super typical things people will come in for. Um, Spanking is a big one. Foot fetishes. Mm. Cross-dressing fetish. Um, And they're not all people that are, you know, gay or trans or anything. Just some people, for whatever reason, they want to be put in women's clothing. Whether it's to feel humiliated or whether they just like the feel and look of the clothes. It's a little bit of everything. That's pretty common. Uh Um what we call like a power exchange, which is kind of for lack of a better way to put it like classic dominatrix where they say like, okay, I'm relinquishing all my power mistress. You can do whatever you want to me. Sometimes that involves physical pain or bondage. Sometimes it involves like ordering someone around or a combination of both. But the principle behind that is that one person says you can do whatever you want for this period of time. And then, you know, of course after the discussion of the things that, are hard boundaries or things you definitely don't yeah. want to happen. Um, so yeah, that's a big one. There's a lot of role play. People have role plays as diverse as there are movies and books and radio shows and paintings and every other form of art on this planet. Do you have a particularly weird or funny one? <laughs> Gosh, there are so many. There is someone that comes into our dungeon that has a fetish for raincoats. Okay. specifically I just like we dress up in raincoats and talk about how the raincoats are cool <laughs> that's an interesting one um you just talk in the raincoats yeah we just try in raincoats and talk about them they it's bring like their own whole, raincoats it, a whole giant duffel bag <laughs> oh my like God. I'm, t- I'm telling you like wow. everything is a thing I mean that's one of the more kind of out there ones but no that's kind of amazing that that's yeah that yeah. just goes to show There's, the variety yeah and and a lot of people that have fetish is kind of this specific they usually go back to like their early childhood if they can remember yeah and um and it's it's kind of for me like it's kind of 
in a weird way. It's like special and endearing. They're like, oh, I'm glad you can like share this. You can come in and indulge us and there's nothing wrong or harmful about it whatsoever. It's weird, but that's fine. Yeah. (laughs) So now, so this like giving someone an erection, are they Mm. allowed to masturbate Well, so I just want to like clarify something. At the, the place that I work, we... Like, if they happen to get an erection, that's just going to happen. We don't do anything to manipulate their genitals to erection. Okay. I mean, Lord knows, if women had control of her when men did or didn't have an erection, <laughs> the world would be a different place. <laughs> um, I'll answer that question in the sense that, like, if a client wants to do something with their own body in front of me, I will allow them to do that or not. But I'm never, like, there's no hand jobs. There's nothing like that. If okay. I'm... The way I describe it to a client, they'd ask me, like, well, what if someone was like, what can you do to my penis? I'd be like, hurt it. That's all I'm going to do is hurt it. Wow. Um, and using, like, sexual pleasure in the kind of situations that I create in my work, if they have any pleasure, I'm demanding that they, they do it to themselves and then stop and then maybe start. It's, it's a power thing, usually. Um, so, and, and again, like other people do their work differently. Um, for me, if anyone finishes in their session, one again, like I'm not doing it, no fluids are being exchanged and it's a part of a role play or a power exchange or something else where it's, it's kind of outside the realm of like sort of, for lack of a better way to put it, like, you know, A plus B equals C type mm-hmm. of um, sexual interaction. And this is completely legal too. Um, it's as long as, I mean, first of all, like the laws vary depending on what city you're in. So laws everywhere are different depending on where you are. So I can't speak to anywhere but where I work. Um, the law, and, and it's also gray. Like the law does not follow logic for the most part. Like, for example, one rule that is um that is both the law and the rule of the place I work is no exchange of bodily fluids mm-hmm. which that can obviously include like intercourse or oral sex or things like that where you're exchanging bodily fluids but it also means that if I were to say like spit on someone's face that would be considered illegal because wow. I am transferring my saliva to their skin now of course the disease spreading potential of that is akin to sharing a straw with somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly like a health hazard, but it does fall technically under the exchange of fluids. So we are not allowed to do that there. Same thing with like, you know, doing things like peeing on someone we're not allowed to do, which we yeah. don't do there. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, you know, a lot of the laws, like I just can only imagine the committee of people <laughs> coming up with them. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad, you know, and I'm glad that there are some laws there for the protection of whoever they're supposed to protect. But I wish, I wish it was a bunch of like sex workers coming up with the laws for these things who understood Uh, um, the practicalities of it. But that's my dream. I really hope we're heading in that direction because no one should be speaking for sex workers except sex workers. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. Because I don't even, I mean, I can dance around it all day long. Like I, um, 
you know, if you wanted a clear answer, I would say I'm anti-porn. And the mm -hmm. reason is because of the effect that I see it having not only on, like, the men that I know and their ability or not to get an erection yeah. after a while or, like – 12 year old boys that are being exposed to crazy things girls yeah. like talking like porn stars by the time they're 13 because like there's so many problematic things and then of course trafficking you never know when you're watching someone that's been trafficked versus someone that's willingly yeah there. i i wish that in some perfect world we could have like free trade certified porn where <laughs> yeah. you knew that you know everyone you everyone <laughs> in it was like paid well yeah. and you know and was fully a hundred percent on board with ever they everything they were doing, and e no, even if really it appeared funny, that yeah. they didn't like it, they were just acting. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. Believe me, I'm. You know, it's. I think porn, like, like a number of other things in society and like sex work in general, it's like it's all a mixture of good and bad, like yeah. almost everything is. Yeah, I would say it's particularly bad though when it's bad. Like I don't yeah. think there's anything. Oh yeah, anything, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. don't think there's any job I can think of that's as bad when it's bad. The murder rates, yeah. you know, the rape rates, everything. No, I, but, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, so there's this like really sticky. It's funny you said the whatever humanely sourced or whatever because I say the exact same thing that if I knew the pornography that coming out was like humanely sourced by completely consenting people and more you know women are making porn that is falling under that category yeah. um i don't know how successful it's doing in comparison to like well the and it's hard stuff. because it's worldwide so it's right. impossible to police with the internet and the way it is yeah. now yeah so i just and, it, it, and like, it's also impossible as a consumer to know what you're watching if you're someone that watches porn and wanting to be ethical, which there are plenty of people that are yeah. wanting to be like ethical consumers of porn. Yeah. Maybe not the majority, but they're out there. <laughs> they're there. No, totally. I, I am one of those people. I don't feel ethically okay. Um, indulging in pornography at all. Um, you know, again, not that I'm a shamer or anything. Yeah. And I, but the, my whole point being like, I can have all the opinions I have all day long in the privacy of my own home. But at the end of the day, when we're talking about legalities and criminality and abuse and everything that's occurring, I only want to hear from sex workers on that. I don't want to hear yeah. from some old guy that has an opinion about it. Like, I shouldn't that's be speaking probably to hypocritical. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I shouldn't be speaking to it. He shouldn't be speaking yeah. to it is the, my main opinion above yeah. all. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, as with any other issue, I mean, coming from just my perspective as someone who is, uh, like sex worker adjacent will call me because I don't have sex with my clients. I don't, you know, engage in a lot of sexual activities. I just don't do because of the place I work and the law and myself combination of the three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so on the one hand, I feel like a lot of the laws that we have are like, you know, made by people that don't know what they're talking about and are being kind of paternalistic mm. and, you know, some of them, it's like, I'm like, this law is stupid. And then, but then on the same side, I'm like, well, if we had, if it was on the swinging to the other side and everything was legal, which I guess I would agree with in theory, in the sense that in theory, I agree that anyone of age and sound mind should be able to do with their body what they want to do, you know, in the course of earning a living, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, maybe within certain bounds, but it's like in general, I feel like what's the difference between someone risking life and limb working on an oil rig and someone risking an STD at a legal brothel? Like really, like why is one more moral or acceptable than the other? Yeah. Um, As long as everyone is fully informed of, you know, the risks and the benefits and as again, like an adult of sound mind, not coerced in any way. We're talking about, the ideal situation. Yeah. Um, then in theory, I'm like, well, in theory, anyone at my dungeon should be able to do whatever they want. If like the price is right for them and they fully understand the, the risks and benefits of what they're doing. But I'm also really glad that I can always say, Oh, we don't do these things. Cause then <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do them. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just like, it's just not a black and white, easy issue. Yeah. Um, you know, again, then like what I believe in theory is not necessarily what I would like the most in practice. So it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. But at the end of the day, the thing I know, like 100% for sure is like not one person in this country should be sitting in jail for even one night for selling any form of sex. That is ridiculous. People should be in jail for exploiting other people. People should be in jail for coercing other people. People should be in jail for doing things to other people's bodies that they didn't want them to do. But nobody, nobody should be in jail for deciding under whatever circumstances they were under to do something with their body for money. I just think that that's unequivocally something that we should decriminalize and look at totally differently. Yeah, it is. It is a really strange concept to jail someone for exercising their free will and autonomy. It really doesn't make sense in our yeah. country, actually. And, and I think that the more, I mean, again, like, you know, if people are really concerned about the mental and physical well-being of sex workers, or even of people who are trafficked, which it's not the same as sex workers. Trafficking no. victims are victims. It's yeah. not, it would be like if somebody forced you to sit down and be an accountant that would be trafficking you know it's like it doesn't matter what work you're doing if you're forced to do it against your will it's yeah. not okay I mean um, I'm disgusted one of my friends went to like a juvenile detention center and there was a 13 year old girl in there for prostitution and I was just like like somebody, how is she in trouble I know for this? I was she's like she's a victim are you kidding me kill me please kill me that she is yeah, being punished for something that's clearly what circ- like how could you not objectively be like what has gotten a thirteen year old in a circumstance where she's selling sex like exactly that should never be criminalized ever one hundred percent. But 100%. this is like you know this would have been in the two thousands. So I don't know what kind of progress we've made since then. I pray to God that not that's much. not happening anymore. I know I feel like yeah, I hate to say it, but it's not well because there was. Recently, under our favorite uh, cinnamon Hitler that we have in office, you can cut that. That probably will run. Like, I'll be more diplomatic. So, under the current administration, and actually, this was passed um, by a huge majority by both parties. So, it's actually not a partisan issue that, or it's not a party that's to blame. But um, they had a bill that was basically kind of pitched as. Um, a bill that was going to help uh, sex trafficked children. Okay. Um, it was uh, Fosta Sesta was the uh, the name of the bill. I can send you you know links and stuff for the podcast. But basically, the idea is it was pitched as this is a thing that's going to stop um, sex trafficking on the internet. And of course, like 
sex worker or not, nobody wants people to be trafficked on the internet or anywhere else. Yeah. And it was aimed at, um, or ostensibly it was aimed at sites like Backpage um, and Craigslist zones where people would, you know, post ads, um, advertising sometimes illegal sex workers or illicit sex. And while of course, again, like nobody is in favor of an underage girl being sold on the internet anywhere. Like, no one is in favor of that other than their pimps who should all be in jail. Yeah. What this bill actually did was they made it illegal for any website to advertise anything that could be construed as potentially being illegal and or supporting something illegal. So again, while maybe that sounds like, oh yeah, like our websites shouldn't advertise or support things that are illegal. That sounds good in theory. Yeah. In practice, what happened is that People who were in the sex work industry legally and illegally and some in like kind of the margins of legal and illegal were totally kicked off websites that actually made them a lot safer. Mm. So like Backpage was the cesspool. Like the owner of Backpage is a piece of trash. I'll be the first and last to say it. But there were a lot of people that would use these sites and similar ones to screen for people who were dangerous to oh, because the girls were like communicating yeah, with each other put, on it. They, right? The girls are communicating with each other on it. They would also use it as a thing, like so that they didn't have to walk on the street. They could mm. put an ad on the internet and screen people before they actually met them in real life, mm. in order to figure out who was safe and who wasn't. And even um, you know the place I work, we don't depend because it's been around for a long time. We don't depend a lot on internet advertising. Even they were spooked, even though it's a legal business, because if you if they catch like a tiny word that could be construed as something that's illegal, then the site that is hosting the ad can be sued. So sites basically what happened is that like, you know, basically any site that was hosting any type of ads or messages or anywhere near the sex work industry would kick everyone off or shut down, Mm -hmm. especially if they were smaller and couldn't afford the legal bills to go to arbitration or to go into lawsuits over things like this. So the net result, and like sex workers were uniformly against this, but nobody listened to a word they had uh, to say. I hate of that. course, I hate that. And and the, also the ironic thing is that some of the people that testified before Congress about this bill and were really pushing it were parents of girls that had been trafficked underage, which is horrible and should never happen. But they found their daughters because police were able to find them on these websites. Oh, no. And again, like, yeah, I can't say it enough. Like, underage girls or boys or anyone should not be advertised for sex on any website ever, period. But, but they the found irony, them. Yeah. Yeah. So it actually, in a way, like, made law enforcement's job easier than trying to find someone who's on the street. Uh, also, you'd have a paper trail if a yeah. girl ended up murdered or whatever. Exactly. And, uh, so, and yeah. one, one mother who um, had supported the bill, her daughter was a 16-year-old runaway mm-hmm. who had then been caught up with a pimp and had been missing for several months and they did find her because there was an ad for her in Backpage. Mm. And again, not okay she was on there. Not okay that a pimp exploited her not okay that any person would ever pay to have sex with a 16-year-old. All these things are 100% not okay. But this is the only way that they found her. Yeah. So we have to ask ourselves, what's the, what's the better option right now? 
you know, do we want to drive these things underground? Do we want to make it harder to find people who are exploited uh, by sex traffickers and pimps? And do we want to make it harder for people who are consensually and a lot of times legally doing sex work to be safe yeah, or to safer? And the end of the day, none of the lawmakers gave a shit about sex workers, legal or illegal, underage or not. The bill sounded really good on paper and they couldn't vote against it. Yeah. Or they were just so sex negative that anyone having sex was going to be viewed as something bad, regardless of what the actual bill's consequences were. The consequence of this bill is that more sex workers are going to be in harm's way. Full stop. That's what it is. But nobody, yeah. they don't actually care about that. What is the solution? Oh, because as you yeah. said, it's the oldest profession in the world mm -hmm. and it's not going anywhere. So... Uh, it's the same thing. Like I just put out an abortion video yesterday and my main yeah. reason for voting pro-choice is that you're going to have abortion either way. Yeah. Women will have abortions, whether they're allowed to or not, they'll just die doing it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also I'm pro-choice because every single statistic available shows that pro-choice makes a better effort to prevent abortions mm -hmm. goes down yes. by like, yeah. goes down by like 50% in some States, but Go ahead, keep yeah. voting pro-life because it sounds better. Yeah. The terminology drives me crazy because it's literally the opposite yeah. and it's driving me insane. No, I'm with you. I think if... But it's like, you know, if something is yeah. going to happen, it's not that you're saying we as a society love abortion mm -hmm. or love prostitution. Yeah. It is that they will exist. They've always existed. How do we make sure that children are not in mm -hmm. harm's way? Yeah, that the people, people aren't, aren't dying. Yeah. That people aren't, you know, being raped and murdered and no one can find, like, yeah, what I are mean, we going to do? As far as, like, comprehensive policy, I am far from qualified to understand all the nuances of that. There are some people who are, and I'm happy to connect you with them. Please do. I'd um, love to have that but, conversation. But, you know, if, like, if, you know, being kind of thinking about it on the spot, I would say, you know, if every interaction that someone who is seeking to buy sex or some erotic type experience, you know, honestly, like whether it's going to a strip club to full on having sex with a prostitute to coming to someone like me as a dominatrix and you're not going to have sex, but I'm going to indulge some sort of fetish, whether that's you being spanked or you're kissing my feet or I'm dressing you up in girls' clothes or whatever I'm doing. It's something that is, you know, probably in some ways erotic in nature. Um, for there to always be a place for people who are seeking those services and the people who wish to, of their own volition, um, provide those services. There's safe places for those um, interactions and that commerce to happen. However that looks, I think that's the ideal. And how that looks in practice is probably different some places and probably has a lot of you know, kinks to be worked out, no <laughs> pun intended. Um, you know, like the system, you know, look at places in Nevada where prostitution is legal and they have legal brothels. There are some problems with those legal brothels, but there are yeah. also a lot of problems that don't exist there um, because it's legal and regulated and there's a safe space where people can come and kind of have an honest exchange. So if it were up to me, I would say like any, you know, exchange of goods or money for sexual services should occur in places and with systems in place that ensure the safety to the best of their ability of both or all parties. Yeah. And that's really what it is. And, and the laws are not aimed at that. 
um, they're just not. And so however we can best, best do that. Yeah. That would be a much better solution. Well, because it's going to happen. This is, yeah. And that's a good segue to like, for me, as I kind of mentioned, like over the past few years, I've been really working out my sexuality again and completely recalibrating what my real desires and wants are and how I want to be treated and what kind of relationships I'll tolerate and not tolerate because I was really ignoring that for a number of years. Um, But one of the most profound lessons I've been learning recently is the immense power of sexuality and the spirituality that is intrinsically inside of it and within it and I think even if you aren't a religious person or even necessarily a spiritual person you can't deny the power of sexuality yeah well I mean it's a huge part of who all of us are it's how we're all here yeah (laughs) we're all here because someone had sex with someone else yeah so Um, I'm like curious from your perspective because I kind of touched on it earlier Mm -hmm. but you know the concept of a married man coming in to yeah yeah or like you know, the people that are out there seeking sex with a 16-year-old on the internet, like, yeah. you know, every nuance within it, like, the yeah. people, you know, how can we wrap our heads around these things? Yeah, I guess, well, it's a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, one um, sentence. <laughs> good luck. Um, I mean, start with, like, the married man. Sure, yeah, okay, so the married man that, like, Cummins comes in to see me as a dominatrix Mm -hmm. um assuming I know he's married which I don't always know um I don't always ask and even if I did people can lie yeah um but let's say you know I know it's a married man and I know that he is not telling his wife about this interaction which there are everyone's all there people that do talk to their wives or girlfriends or whatever and they're okay with that and that's a different subject yeah which is and that's like Mm -hmm. a, a lovely thing but it's it's probably the minority yeah um so the married men that I see as a dominatrix, if I'm asked to completely, you know, if I were put before their wives and say, like, explain yourself, you know, that would be difficult. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I think that they would have some pretty, like, valid complaints against me, and that would be fair. But at the end of the day, I feel like for the most part, the people that I see, actually not, not in the most part, entirely the people I see are people that for whatever reason cannot experience their particular fetish in the lives that they're living. Mm. Sometimes that's their own fault. Sometimes they are too ashamed or they don't want to talk about it or whatever it is. They're not going to do the work in their own lives to see if they can make, you know, their fetish work and get fulfilled to a certain extent with their partners that they have or the partners that they might have if they're single and they're trying to find someone. Some people have done all the work they can do. And a lot of, you know, people I see have been married for 10, 20, 30 years and they are in love with their wives and they have kids and they've built a life and they're happy in pretty much every area of their marriage as far as I know. Because again, like I'm not the therapist and I don't (laughs) live in their life so I don't know everything. But by all accounts, everything is going well, but they have this, you know, fetish or this thing that the person they're with is not into or does not understand or won't understand or won't experiment with for whatever reason. And a lot of people 
come to me because they know that I'm not a prostitute. They know that there's a lot of things I'm not going to do. They know that, Mm. you know, that however you define cheating is one thing or another, but like they know that there's not, they're not going to run away and be with me. They don't even know my real name. We're not going to have sex. There's not going to be any risk of STDs or STIs. It's going to be, you know, something that allows them to, uh, to indulge their fetish to a certain extent that is safe and consensual. And some people might, you know, say that that's cheating or say that's immoral. And I don't think that that's necessarily out of bounds, but it's just something that for me, I'm like, you know what? Everyone only has this one life and we only have so much time on this earth to experience things. And if the alternative is either you're going to cheat on your partner and risk you know, their health and your marriage and partnership of however many years to go have an affair with someone who's kinky or who's into this fetish, or you're going to never experience something that can be really wonderful and healing and important and validating, then, you know, it's like you have to balance all those choices. And I don't think that myself or anyone else can necessarily say from the outside what is right or wrong in all those situations. Yeah. What do you, how would you describe the validation and healing that's provided through this sort of service? You know, I have um, some clients that come in and they're in charge of everything in their lives. They're in charge of their business. They're kind of the head of their household. They're dominant and in charge and responsible for everything in their lives. Mm -hmm. And they come in and they want an hour where I'm going to just tell them everything that they're going to do. And for some people, like that's all they want. They just want an hour where it's like, if I'm going to tell you to go look at the corner, you know, for 10 minutes and you try to turn around because you're like, Oh, this is boring. It's a waste of time. Like, no, look at the corner. It's almost like meditation for some people, (laughs) you know, to be forced to do that. Yeah. I was going to say, that actually sounds really relaxing. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, I need to check my phone. I'm like, your phone rang, you're in trouble. Now you've got 20 more and it's in the corner. Um, So for some people, it's it's almost that simple of just being able to relinquish control for a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. when there's no other place in their life they can do that. Yeah. Um, For some people, it's working out some trauma that they might have had. And, you know, again, I'm not a therapist. I can't guarantee it's like an effective therapy for children, but they come in and they want to act out something that's very scary to them Mm. um, for whatever reason. And they're acting that out in a controlled environment where they know it can stop. They know it's only going to go to a certain extent. They know that there's a time limit on it, on it. So they might come in and say like, I want to do a role play where, you know, I'm kidnapped and tied up and forced to do whatever the kidnapper wants to do to torture me for this hour. Mm. I mean, we watch, you know, horror movies. We watch Law and Order SVU. We watch true crime shows. We watch the news. And we kind of indulge in a lot of these very scary and a lot of times very real things. And nobody thinks that it's a problem that we kind of have this cultural obsession with that until we marry it with a little bit of sexuality Mm. and all of a sudden it's a problem. Like what's the difference between someone coming in and having, you know, an experience where they kind of either find a therapeutic value or a stress relief or even just uh, an entertainment value and spending an hour pretending like they're in this world where something very evil and bad is happening where they've been kidnapped or whatever the scenario is. Um, 
again, within like a carefully discussed set of rules and boundaries. Yeah. I don't think it's that much different than a lot of other things we indulge ourselves in. We just demonize it because it's a little bit more visceral or it seems a little bit more underground. But I don't think the itch that it's scratching is that much different. Interesting. Yeah. I, you're reminding me, do you remember that terrible show, Cheaters? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's one of my most uh, shameful pleasures. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time because it's, it's actually really terrible. Is it, been, is it really even terrible. on anymore? I hope not. It's yeah. so terrible. I think the host got stabbed once, finally. Well, I can't believe he didn't, that didn't happen yeah. every I time. I mean, that's bad that he got stabbed, but I guess it sort of still seemed like it was going to like, something like, was going to happen. Yeah, something he, was gonna happen. He was basically, like oh. prick, like yeah, he was basically yeah. prodding hornets' nests all the time, oh. and he finally got stung. But um, oh, I hope he's so okay. <laughs> I think he's fine. <laughs> but basically, the show is they yeah they catch people that are cheating. Yeah. Um. So I just I remember I saw this one, and they were just vilifying this guy so hard mm-hmm. they pulled him out of this dungeon he was like tied up to something and there's dominatrix like yeah. smacking him and his wife follows him in with this whole camera crew and they come in and they get kicked out of the dungeon because they're obviously like yeah, i was like what dungeon would let them in? yeah like a, a very <laughs> lax dungeon yeah. with no locks apparently um yeah they would not get into the place I <laughs> that's comforting because that's yeah that was scary i'm like geez how do they even get in there mm. But anyway, they drug him out, and um, he still had, like, handcuffs on. He was in the the most, like, humiliated position possible, nude. And the wife was screaming at him, and he was crying, and he was like, I begged you for this. I begged you for this. And everyone around was just, like, laughing, and the host was like, how do you feel? You're a horrible person. And I was actually – I wasn't even, like, in my sexual development phase, but I remember being empathetic and being like – wait, that guy is like, beg- he, what? Yeah. He's crying and he's saying that he told her this was what he was about. Like, yeah. why does she think that only he's at fault for this situation? That's yeah. not fair. And, you know, and, and it's like, if you're not, if you're not into some kinky thing that your partner's into, there's nothing wrong with you, but there's also nothing wrong with them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's part of like sexual compatibility is important in a partnership, but it's not always perfect. Right. And that's also okay. And yeah, and I feel please like don't misunderstand. I'm yeah. not saying like he was right to go behind. It's not back. about that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's like, it's not, it's not about, and that's how I view it with like the men I see that may or may not be married, have girlfriends. Again, I don't always know. I'm not, I, I wouldn't ever say, oh, it's totally fine that you're not telling your wife or girlfriend this. It's not about that. It's more like it's just not as black and white as cheating is bad, always right, wrong, these sides of things. And, you know, I can understand somebody that is especially let's say they're in their like 50s, 60s, like they're not going to be even if they even if they divorce their partner, which they probably don't want to or shouldn't yeah the odds of them finding somebody else with the exact same kink at their age who's into it at the exact same frequency is like it's slim mm-hmm. and who also is compatible with them on every other level and going to see someone who's like a professional again who's like they're not looking to break up your relationship if anything every person i know that works in sex work at all and at my dungeon would like be the first to try to help someone stay in their relationship unless it was obviously abusive or toxic. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I, I do have a couple like regular clients that, um, that I know are married and I know that their spouses don't know that they come there. And honestly, my biggest like ethical concern is not about what I do with their husbands, because again, we're not having sex. They're not at risk for anything. It's a role play that they've told me that they, you know, that their wives are completely uninterested in doing and that this is the place they can exercise that. And also I'm like, I'm not the sheriff of someone else's relationship. I didn't advertise and try to draw them in. They came of their own free will. The only thing I ever like think about is I hope their wives are okay with them spending money here. And most of the people that come in and spend money there have so much money that I doubt anyone notices that any numbers change in their bank accounts. But the only time I would like, I think I would really like tell someone no is if I felt like I really had good reason to believe that they were, you know, spending money that their family needed and that they didn't have behind their partner's back that I would really have a problem with, Mm. um, that I feel like I would, I would, you know, not see someone over that. Yeah. Um, but that, cause that to me would be like a bigger violation. Yeah. Um, so how did you, (laughs) how did you move from the girl going on mission trips, not thinking kissing before marriage was okay potentially at certain points in your life to this like are do you still consider yourself christian or spiritual in any way or did you have to sort of ditch that to to do this um no i mean i don't think i had to ditch that to to work as a dominatrix i many years before i went to this kind of work i transitioned to a place where i kind of consider myself hopefully agnostic in the sense that I just don't think it's possible for anyone to know for sure. And by anyone, I mean anyone. All of history, all of people. Well, to, when you got divorced, yeah. was that also a divorce from, like, attending church and doing that whole thing? We had, I had kind of drifted from it a little earlier. Um, I would say by my mid-20s, okay. I was identifying more. questions about more, the LGBTQ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was... It was not divorce or going into to being a dominatrix that... Um, was the thing that drew me away from my faith. It was it, really, it predated that. Mm. Um, I mean, one of the bigger things, yeah, was like the attitude towards the LGBT community and also just seeing a lot of Christians that were really similar to me in their age and background and language they used and way they live their lives, do things that in the name of God that were so clearly harmful to others that I just couldn't understand how I thought that I was hearing directly from God and I knew the right way and they didn't when I realized that you know it was like so I could just easily tip into the other side of things Mm. and be really causing harm in the name of God and that kind of scared me out of that way of thinking where you know you you are right because you think you've heard from God and you should do in the face of whatever anyone says and whatever it looks like, you should just do what God told you to do. And really like that type of mindset, it's a terrorist mindset. Exactly. Followed to its logical conclusion is what makes people, you know, shoot other people or blow up abortion clinics or, you know, if you, if you look at other religions, you know, fly planes into towers, like it's that kind of mindset that God has told me something and I'm going to do it and nothing else matters. It's really yeah. dangerous. Yeah. And I don't think all even chuckles have that mindset to a dangerous extent, but I think sometimes the seeds are there and that was really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what kind of 
diverted me from that path more than than anything else and then it was finally breaking from that I think it gave me and my ex-husband because he broke from it too the freedom to be like we probably shouldn't be married like we got married when we were young and optimistic and had different set of beliefs and it was a nice idea but we don't have kids we don't have a house this should we should just part ways Mm -hmm. as painful as it was and um yeah and it's what gave me an open mind enough to recognize that if I if this was something working as a dominatrix that was interesting to me and that um, that I could feel good about doing, then there wasn't anything inherently wrong with it based on some religious standard or someone that's a way that somebody else yeah. would judge me. Yeah, I mean, if I moved away from my religious convictions, from what everything you've said, I have a hard time seeing it as immoral in any way, except, like I said, with the case of like someone already being devoted to somebody else or the money, like you said. Yeah, it's... Well, and I think it's like I I leave a lot of room in my thinking about it to be wrong. I think, you know, if in a few years or days or decades I assess something that I I did during my time working as a dominatrix as, you know, something that I can't stand by anymore, something that's morally wrong, I'm like I'm comfortable with that possibility. And that's something I didn't have with Christianity it was like you're either right or you're wrong there's no Mm. okay I'm doing the best I can with my understanding of uh, people and what hurts people and what doesn't hurt people and kind of what I see as right and wrong and how I'm doing the best I can to be a force you know for good in this world even in bizarro ways where sometimes the force for good is indulging someone who wants to you know dress up like a girl for an hour and be told what to do and you know and but I leave room for like you know sure I could be wrong in some of these things and that's you know I I welcome those revelations and I welcome thinking about that and that's okay I'm always still trying to assess where I should be censoring myself or Mm -hmm. where I'll be too much but I'll just admit that my I definitely have a very firm belief that people are far better off when they do get to work out their kinks. Again, mm-hmm. we're only talking about consensual, yeah, legal absolutely. things. But, you know, if someone, if your husband is desperate to get paddle whipped, you know, like, and you're not into it, like, at least be open to having that conversation. At least be like, you know, people that are repressed in these ways act out in much worse ways. Yeah. And everyone... You know, I don't think anyone is meant to be fully stifled in that way. These kinks Mm -hmm. do come from deeply embedded childhood scenarios and we don't really know the root, but sometimes you can like trace it very easily back to the scent of your uncle's leather jacket or something. Yeah, some some clients of mine know like the day and time that the thing connected with their mind that was a fashion. Some people don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I do, at the end of the day, think sex is supposed to be fun. I, like, again, I'm really starting to honor it much more than I Mm -hmm. ever have in my entire life, including when I was a virgin. I feel I honor it more now than I did then. Yeah. Um, Because I have a real grasp and concept of its power and what I want it to be in my life. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, it's like, yeah, I want to have a very spiritual, enlightened experience with someone, but I also want to have a really fun time. And I want my partner to be my best friend. Yeah. I want to be like, 
oh, you want to get, like, you know, whatever. You want to lick my feet? Fine, yeah. weirdo. Like, whatever you well, want. And it's interesting. I mean, gosh, I have a lot of things to say about <laughs> a lot of that. Like, one, it's we demonize fetishes so much in our culture right. to the point where, like, we get people that come in that's, like, all their – they just love feet, for example. Like, yeah. all they want to do is, like, rub your feet and kiss your feet. And, like, they're just – that's what they're into. And that is, like, such an – easy fetish to accommodate as well, even if you're like even if you're I'm not, like i'll stop by yeah, and accommodate even them. if you're not into it even if it doesn't turn you on or you don't understand it like it's not you don't you don't have to put yourself through a lot to accommodate that fetish mm-hmm. um you know and i think if our culture didn't demonize fetishes it didn't say okay it's bad or weird if you don't like the same things everyone else likes that something like a foot fetish would be just like the same thing as a guy liking boobs or a girl liking a guy's chest it's like it's just a body part and most of the that you're attracted are so to common like outside it's of like the raincoat gentlemen <laughs> yeah you know it's like oh really yeah. you want to be tied up oh really you want to be spanked like yeah are a very lot of common. a lot of these things are like very easy to accommodate and our biggest hurdles to indulging them and accommodating them in our relationships are the stigma it's mm. not the actual thing yeah and then there are like there are some fetishes that are harder to accommodate or there's some things that even myself as a professional dominatrix I could have a partner that would be into some things that I'd be like hard pass I'm Mm. not into that yeah and at that point in some discussions you would either have to decide it's a price of admission you're willing to pay to borrow something from Dan Savage (laughs) or it's something that you really have to indulge in and in the perfect scenario you and your partner can find a way that you can indulge in that in a way that they're okay with. Or you end up partnering with somebody else that will accommodate that fetish or thing. But you can't, what you can't do is wish something like that out of existence. Mm. You know, and even, even fetishes that can't be acted out in real life, you know, you still can't wish it out of existence. You either have to come to terms with the fact that it can't happen and you find a way to work around that in your life or you find a healthy, safe, sane, consensual way to indulge that fetish. You yeah. can't you just can't eliminate it. As far as we know right now in psychology, it's not possible. Um, I think the last thing I'd like to touch on is I love what you said about your sexuality being like a renewable thing. Cause you and I growing up were taught that once you give any piece of yourself away that it's gone forever. Mm -hmm. whether it's holding someone's hand or having sex with them. So now that you, you know, and I have both indulged on the pendulum to the other side, you know, is our sexuality something that was renewable at the end of the day? Or did we give ourselves away? Uh, No, we're just two shells of human beings. There's nothing left to offer. We're zombies. No, yeah, I think the idea, like... The idea that you're a being that can give a part of yourself away that can never come back is just, I mean, we know it not to be true. Like, come on. You know, we know that people can have many relationships in their lives and still be whole, happy, healthy individuals. We know this because we know people like that. And even Christians make accommodations for this. Someone who's divorced because their spouse left them or cheated on them or died tragically or something like that. We don't. We make an exception like, okay, you're still whole because you didn't do something. Well, mm. what's the difference Yeah. between if they you did something, mistake or not mistake? Like our, 
our sexuality and our personhood is not a thing that you chip away at until it's gone, regardless of what that thing is chipping away at it, whether it's hardship or bad relationship or whatever it is. We are a renewable, you know, our, our lives and our energy and our emotions are a renewable resource. We are like, you know, it's kind of like, we're like a tree. Like, yeah, like things can get cut off and we can be damaged, but until you're caught off at the roots and you're dead and you're going back into the forest, like you're still a tree and you're still regenerating and still Plus growing. That's some good pruning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and sometimes you need some hardship in yeah. order to, to grow in different ways. And for me, I feel like, you know, having different relationships and different experiences uh, enriched my life and taught me things about myself and, some things were good experiences and some were bad and some were neutral and all of them have added up to the person that I am today. And that person's not perfect, but I'm certainly not a, you know, a, a shell of someone that just gave a bunch of pieces away of herself that she could never get back. It's yeah. just, it's just not how it works. I like thinking of it more like you don't want to be a tumbleweed of damage, mm-hmm. like going and accumulating more and more and more. Yeah. And I think the way to, and I think that's the only way that you do essentially chip away, quote unquote, yeah. at the person that you could be or whatever. So if you are committed to, you know, stick to Christianity, mm-hmm. forgiveness and, rejecting um, bitterness and anger Mm -hmm. and actually making sure that you are holding yourself at a high standard of renewing yourself and renewing your spirit and keeping healthy in your mind, body, and soul, then, yeah, you'll do nothing but flourish. And it it, it kind of to to go along with what you're saying, an analogy of like a, a bucket full of water. Like you can be a leaky bucket and if you're always leaking out you know things and giving yourself away to anyone who comes along and not having anything come back to you and not being enriched by the people you're with mm. this applies to romantic and non-romantic relationships yeah, and experiences it's not unique to sex and sexuality then yeah like if you're like a leaky bucket then that's a problem because eventually you're going to run out if nothing's going back in but it's not like you're given this bucket of water at the beginning of your life and anytime you have any sort of emotional interaction with someone uh, or erotic or sexual interaction with them. There's like another hole poked and the water comes out and nothing else goes back in. It's really not how it works. Yeah. Um, But you're right. It's like the continual renewing is not a given. It is something that you cultivate and And um, choose partners. Yeah, exactly. And people can suck the life out of you and Mm -hmm. people can give you life in all areas. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, it was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for being so candid about your experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I love you guys. I guess we're keeping this anonymous, so you can't Mm -hmm. reuter. You can, (laughs) I'm sure you can write this show and I'll answer any questions. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm happy to answer questions that you forward to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If anyone is out there that has some weird fetish, not weird, but you know, you think it's weird. You've been told it's weird and you're struggling. I've I've heard it all. Don't, don't hold back. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Just, you know, if you need anything demystified or you want to talk to her about anything, please hit me up um, at God is Gray on Instagram or God is Gray XO at gmail.com and I will forward all to her. Um, thank you so much again. I love you, you guys. Thank you for having me. We both love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>